Hello everyone, John Turnbull here again, introducing our next episode of the Dib Dialogues. For our second episode, and in Black History Month, Alicia Parchment, who has been exceptional in her leadership of our identity pillar, is joined by Katisha Thomas, UK Senior People Manager, and from the Dib Core team, Adeniki Ojo, who I'm delighted to announce is our new pillar lead for generations, and Vimy Rathor from the BITC, the organisation which promotes business in the community. These four strong female leads, as you will hear, need little introduction from me, will introduce themselves fully during this podcast as they generously share their own personal history, their perspectives on their own unique backgrounds and in celebration of black British culture. Having just listened myself, I must say it provided me with extraordinary insights and perspectives, which I'm truly grateful that I've had an opportunity to consider and appreciate. So please join me in taking the time to listen to this thought-provoking, genuine, profound, heartfelt and sometimes just really funny dib dialogue. It makes a sensational listen. I hope you enjoy and appreciate its substance as much as I did. My name's Adenika Ojo. I am legal counsel for EuroNorth. And I've been with Dassault for almost six months now, and it's going well. Still smiling. <laughs> Hi, my name is Khadija Thomas, and I'm um, the Sustainable Workforce Business Partner for Worldwide COE License and Compliance and Cloud. And I've been at Dassault Systems for um, coming up to three years in March. I'm Vimi Rattor. I'm a relationship manager at Business in the Community. Business in the Community is the oldest and longest standing charity campaigning for responsible business um, set up 40 years ago by HRH, the King Charles III. Always have to remember, no longer a prince, now officially a king. Um, and that was very much about us advocating for helping businesses to be as responsible as responsible businesses as they can be. And that's about how responsible they can be within the communities in which they live and work, how they're responsible with their workforce and, of course, being responsible to save our planet. And I'm Alicia Parchment. I am a people, career and performance partner at Dassault Systems. I've been here for two years now, just gone over two years, and I actually started off as a HR intern. So I have moved up twice uh, since being here. And yeah, it's been a great experience so far. Let's get into a conversation. Let's get into a conversation. Let's get into why we are we are here. So we want to talk about celebrating Black British culture. It's essential to have these conversations, to get our own points of view, to understand what, what our thoughts are, in regards to representation, in terms of the linking this to Black History Month as well, what does that mean to us? I'm happy to kick off if you're happy for me in terms of what Black History Month means for me and for business in the community. And I think for me, Black History Month is about our ancestors. It's about change makers. It's about revolutionaries, some of whom we will have heard of, some who we won't have heard of and some that may have been forgotten over the years. But for many, the fruits of their labour, their hard work were never seen and enjoyed by themselves. And I think we owe many, many, many of our freedoms to their hard work and efforts in the past. And I think we often relish the stories and legends, but should really gift our gratitude to the human side of the individuals who dedicated parts of themselves, parts of their lives and probably their families to making a better world. And so for me, that's what Black History Month means to me. Um. I think for me, it's the narrative 
and changing the narrative because there's a narrative that's been delivered in the West about what Black History Month is, what it should be and how what we should accept. I think I'm taking this other view in the sense that it's talking about those narratives that are unheard of, like the Maroons, like Ethiopia being a country that's never been colonised, that Haiti, you know, it's looking at going underneath the hood and basically taking those kind of narratives out. That's basically my kind of Black history. It's looking at those people who, for example, you know, in the 80s where they had the you know, the Brixton riots, they had the Broadwater farm riots, they had the no blacks, no whites, no dogs. That's the kind of history that I want to understand. But then also, I don't want to dwell on that place. I also want to celebrate because of those people who had those kind of like um, restrictions, they had those kind of like um, boundaries and those glass ceilings and how they broke through. And it's not about black history being, oh, the person's a basketballer the person's a musician or did it, no, 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 no. You're a neurosurgeon, you neurosurgeon. Or um, yesterday I had an article from one of my friends who told me that there's a, um, a black British blind barrister as mm-hmm. a woman. Oh yes. Doing that. Yes, triple that. diversity in that sense, you know, being black, being a woman, being, um, dis- you know, having a disability. Those are the kind of stories and narratives that I want to celebrate in terms of black British history. That's basically what I want to learn about. And I think that's basically things that needs to come to the forefront. So yeah, that's what black history means to me. And I think another point I want to make as well is that those of us who have dual, who dual heritage in the sense that I'm born and raised in London and Hackney, but I'm from Nigerian heritage. Nothing separates me. I'm not less Nigerian or less British because Absolutely. of me being Adenike Ojo. Mm-hmm. My life without jollof rice and without um, bangers and mash and um, sticky toffee pudding and doodle mm. would not be the would not be very you know I would not be Adenike without those two in my life. So it's <laughs> basically you don't need to separate yourself or separate that you know I need to be British on this side and then I need to be Nigerian on that side. Mm. I am one body in you know I'm embodied in both identities in one body and I. I come correct and I would say that when I come into these spaces and these forums as well so yeah that's me just a question on that Adamika I'm curious are you ever I totally hear what you're saying that you are you and you don't separate different mm. cultures are you ever torn in certain scenarios or situations that you find yourself in where you're kind of forced to have to choose a side I'm just curious I will answer that in a certain question I've basically been married for five years my husband's Caribbean He's got a Eng- Scottish surname. It's been a struggle for me for the past five years to change my surname because for me, Adenike Oja has been my identity for such a long time. Mm. So basically, that's the internal struggle. I have a daughter now. She basically has that McGregor surname. So that's basically my internal struggle in that sense. And secondly, as well, it's that um, the only times it comes up for me is when people address me like, hi, Ojo. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> if my name was Smith, you will not be addressing me like, hi, Ojo. It will be, hi, Adelike, because you know exactly, you know, and people don't ask those questions. So that's the only way and those kind of areas that it comes up for me. Interesting. Thanks for sharing, Adavika, oh, because no problem. Uh, probably similar to what you've just said. I'm obviously an Indian woman. I was born in Kenya. Uh, my family came over to the UK when I was five. So I have elements of Africa in me because Swahili would have been my first language, although I remember very little of it. Obviously, growing up in an Indian background, 
So I'm Indian, obviously being British, so I totally resonate with fish and chips and bangers and mash being uh, <laughs> a, a, a nice meal for me to eat. And of course, I struggled to separate them because I am Vimy Rattor and also chose not to change my name when I married a Spaniard. And so there's challenges there in terms of people being mind blown when they ask me about where are you from? Well, actually, I'm from Leicester. But then they've, of course, challenged me to say, well, obviously, you don't look like you're from Leicester, which has all kinds of connotations and issues. But maybe that's something for us to discuss at a later date. Um, but that concept for some people is mind blowing that I could be from Indian parents. I hold a British passport, but I was yeah. born in Kenya. Oh, and then I married a Spaniard. Why didn't I marry an Indian mm-hmm. person? So, yeah, it's really interesting topic. Wow, this is such a good group, actually. Yeah, really. <laughs> I'm just listening to everything and just thinking, oh my god, we've had, you know, Adeniki, um, oh Adenike. Well done. <laughs> I can't roll my tongue. I know. Don't worry. Um, Adenike, who is, you know, her her heritage is Nigerian. She's married a Jamaican Caribbean man, and then you've got me, where my parents are from Jamaica. I was born in the UK in Highwicombe. Um, you got Alicia, who's born in Birmingham again, yes. heritage Jamaican, and Vimy, whose heritage is Indian and Kenyan. And I think you know what? When you think about, um, I'm going to start with Black History because that's what Adinake started with. For me, Black History is about um, understanding our history. Our history never started with slavery. I think we need to be very clear about that. Um, And it really annoys me when people always revert to slavery and colonialism, can't say that word, but um, as a made, it is a major point in the history, it is a major like, you know, sticker in the history timeline, but our history never started from there. There are many African kingdoms and um, groups of people and tribes that existed and which had, you know, power and did conquer lands before slavery. So I think that needs to be something that's talked about. Another thing is um, the kings like Ethiopian, Haile Selassie, Marcus Garvey, um, people like that who have been very instrumental in our heritage. Um, you've also got in Jamaica the heroes that you know overthrew um, the British. You've got Nanny, you've got um, Kojo, and you know those people were basically more directly linked to Africa than I am, like I could ever be, basically. And those things need to be celebrated as well. And I think when Adelike talked about should she change her surname? I was sitting here thinking, do you know what? If I married an African guy, I'd definitely take his surname because my surname is not really my surname. In Jamaica, if a parish was St. Thomas, every slave on there was called Thomas, basically. Um, You know, if your slave owner was McGregor, every slave he owned was called McGregor because that was his property. So if I had a choice to change my surname, Adonika, I agree with you, don't change it. Oh no, my husband. Yeah, my husband's yeah, already. Yeah. Now, you know, my husband's already said like, no. Yeah, I think he's, he paid a dowry now. <laughs> um, so that's a bit about the history stuff. I don't want to get too heavy on that, but I do think that we do need to have our history told, 
Um, and it needs to be told, I would say correctly, it's not just slavery and colonialism. Sure. And I think that's the same for Indian as well, because, you know, we, there's a lot of things that we have done. There's a lot of heroes out there. It's like someone saying to me, oh, why don't you love Bob Marley? And I'm sitting there thinking, do you know how many singers Jamaica's got that are like, yeah, exactly. A really big deal. Like, and, you know, <laughs> they haven't had that same exposure as Bob Marley because Bob Marley actually had, I would say, a bit of privilege. He was mixed race. Yeah. You know, he met Chris Blackwell and the rest is history. But there are singers in Jamaica that Jamaicans absolutely love, I would say, to even over the level of Bob Marley. Yeah but they don't get talked about. So there's, you know, I think black history needs to be told. I think it needs to be told in its correct sense. And I think that um, it's great that we've got Black History Month, but we definitely need to, I think as a society, do more to celebrate inventors, engineers. Um, it's not just all about the football player, the, the mm-hmm. kind of, you know, the, the professions that we are so used to seeing. It's about the things that you never know, you've not heard of, like the guy who invented the ice cream scoop. He was a black guy. No one knew that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like when I told someone that, they're like, oh, wow. And it's like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and there's loads of event- inventors out there which have, uh, you know, invented things that you would never think was a black person. Um, and that's when you have to really sit back and think, okay, society doesn't really showcase these people. Um and sometimes I feel like if they're not showcased, you're not really seen as respected as a group of people because you've not seen, they think that you haven't contributed anything to society, which is groundbreaking, but singing and dancing basically. Yeah. But let's get off this topic. What does it mean to be black and British? Um, yeah. It's the same as Adeniki. I, well, I grew up very Jamaican. Um, but then again, what does that mean in the grand scheme of things? Uh, Jamaica's got a whole mix of different cultures. You've got Indian culture in Jamaica. You've got big Chinese population in Jamaica. You've got a big Jewish population in Jamaica. You've got a, a German population in Jamaica. And I think all of it, and Spanish, British, and everything is just a melting pot. And you can see that from the words we use, the food we eat, you know, we eat yam, we eat which is from West Africa that's our national dish but we also eat things like dumplings soups like there's a British influence in a lot of things there's a Chinese influence in a lot of things there's an Indian influence like curry goat and even cannabis if you if you know about cannabis doesn't even come from the Caribbean it actually comes from India so basically there's a lot of influence there um and then with the British side I would say I don't know. It's weird. It's like the food. It's like the, there's culture there from the British side. But also Jamaica was colonized by the British for so long. So even when I used to speak to my grandparents, they they had Jamaican accents, but they weren't strong Jamaican accents. They were like, you need to speak properly. You need to do this properly. You need to speak the mother's English. You know, God save the queen, blah, blah. They were very British, even though they weren't here, basically. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you about countless times that I went to Buckingham Palace to watch a wedding when I was younger. I didn't want to go, but I had to go because... Yeah you know, being part of the British Commonwealth, there was that strong um, sense of belonging to the British Commonwealth. And I would say that was from my grandparents more than my parents. Although my parents does like 
is a minor case seriously <laughs> my mum is to that as well Katisha because yeah. that's like my pet my parents when I was growing up they wouldn't want to speak like any patwa or anything like that because mm-hmm. they were like oh well you know Alicia you need to you need to speak properly I don't want yeah. you going to school and coming out with like these patwa terms and they're like what are you talking about <laughs> and I honestly when I think about it it's upsetting that that's how they kind of viewed it because I feel like that is it is part of our identity and I think it is it is I think that's more because they want you to be because nowadays you get some kids that go to school and they don't know how really to speak properly I think that's something that I've noticed right um but I think that comes from all races right not yeah black or Indian that is true that's yeah that is true our parents have missed a trick let me just say in terms of language because in my household as soon as that door shuts, it's Yoruba all the way. Even they even speak the village dialect. So I understand not even the Yoruba, the commercial Yoruba. I actually understand the dialect from where they're actually from in the village. Yeah. But the issue now is, is that speaking only happens when either I'm upset or if yeah. I'm excited, then it's the Yoruba will just come flowing. But in yeah. terms of having a conversation like this in Yoruba, it will never happen. And the problem yeah. I have now is that I have a daughter who is of mixed cultural identity. Mm-hmm. If I'm not speaking Yoruba, so that Yoruba now, it stays with me. It, yeah. That's it. So it cuts off that language for my daughter going forward, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. So I think for us, in terms of speaking properly, if I look at the Indian culture, the Jewish culture, other cultures, they speak the language, they eat the food, they're very proud of who they are. Why is it with us? We now feel that, oh, we need to speak properly, we need to adapt, we need to accommodate. We don't need to do that. I'm sorry, we don't need to do that. No. So for me, (laughs) it's now, can you imagine, I'm having to go, you know, for my husband, he's basically, he wanted to learn Yoruba because he's, the point is that he doesn't want to be in a room where he thinks someone could be talking about him, so he wants to understand. (laughs) So it's more in that terms of that, but we're having to go to Yoruba classes and my mom's having to be intentional with my child to speak Yoruba to her. So she gets it. Mm-hmm. So it's embedded in her already. So she knows. And it's based. And, and I feel that, again, that generation in terms of, you know, the history affecting us going forward, mm-hmm. where Patwa is something that, you know, it's very commercial in the sense that everyone picks it up. Yeah, like, everyone it, knows it. You hate it, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, like I speak, well, look, I, even my little nephew, five years old, he's talking like in a little deep voice saying, you're too rude, like that. It's just like, oh my God, Julia, like making me laugh. But anyway, I think for me, I speak it anyway. When I'm at home, I speak, as you say, when you're angry, absolutely. Like when you're excited, words come out. But I feel like there's no way you could come to work talking that way unless obviously with you guys I might say something like in Patois or something but the majority of the people that I come across at work I don't think I could speak like that and they'd give me the same respect I just I don't know no, I, I think totally hear I think it's just more in terms of the lost I think it's the lost of language I think that's basically what I'm more more geared towards in terms of my point is just yeah. that there is an element that you lose your language obviously there's a time and space for things for sure definitely but what I do love about other cultures is that they always bring their cultures with them everywhere yeah. they go mm. and it's us we always have that thing that oh we're not too sure so is there a way that we bring our cultures into a working environment where 
for want of a better term, it's not offensive or we don't feel like, you know, we will lose respect as a result of it. But I don't know if any, mm-hmm. you wanted to say something. Yeah. Because we've just got to lead by example, right? Our generation just has to do it and go forth and conquer. And I think we've probably got some issues in our own minds in terms of how the way we bring ourselves to work is going to land. And I mean, at BITC, we talk about bringing your whole self to work. And actually, if you're going to have a happy workforce, then they need to be who they are. You don't want a workforce that's trying to be something else. And so I suppose the conclusion I'm drawing is that we just need to be brave and we just need to bring it, basically. Um, (laughs) Whoever has issues with it has issues with it, because I think that's the only way we're ever going to drive change right. Do you know what? Can I just quickly interject there? I think it's not about not bringing your whole self, because I feel like when I look at myself, I am who I am. And I I think I said this the other night, there's certain fundamental core things about me that haven't changed um, from just growing up and being around people, different people, blah, blah, blah. I think I'm quite secure in who I am and everything like that. I think what is an issue for me is people not accepting that's who I am and then saying things like well you're Jamaican really like because I don't actually match up to a stereotype Mm. or if I don't like a certain kind of music they'll just say oh you don't like that music like and what, like you don't like Bob Marley? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Or you're Jamaican. Do you know? Do you smoke weed? Like, what? Yeah. yeah or no. you're Jamaican. Do you know how to dance? It's like get a life. Or your name? Is it made up? Like, no, it's not. Like, you know, things like that. And if you're not displaying the image that they're comfortable with, you get called things like coconut or bounty. And that's the bit that kind of really upsets me because at the end of the day, like no one gave me a book and said, because you're black British with Jamaican heritage, here's how you're supposed to behave. But that comes to your point, your earlier point is that people have not been educated. There's a narrative that's been spun Mm -hmm. and it's us that needs to now say that the fact that I want to become a lawyer, I want to become a space lawyer. And my mom was like, hey, kiddy space lawyer. And I was like, mom, (laughs) is this, as in what is space lawyer? And I was like, it's basically to do satellites and this and this. She had not seen a black woman in that space. Mm. So when that film Hidden Figures came out and I taught my mom, to that film and she was and I was like this is what I want to do she's like ah Nikkei do it and I was like oh my god I've been telling you this for the past 10 years what do you mean do it do you understand so I think people need to and that's when you know in terms of the point about representation representation matters in the sense that basically I'm walking into an organization I can, you know, have the academics, I've got experience, I've got the skills, I've got everything. I've got everything in my toolbox to actually do my job and not just do it, but do it exceptionally. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exceptional, because we're doing excellence here. We're not doing just average. We're doing exceptionally (laughs) well at our jobs, yeah? Yeah. (laughs) But if I don't see somebody that looks like me in senior management, what that tells me is that no matter how hard you work, there's a glass ceiling that you are not going to break no matter what you do. And that's basically where my issue is, Mm -hmm. because you can be diverse on entry level. If that diversity is not going flowing through the chains, coming up and down, then there's an issue. Mm -hmm. And secondly, as well, that um, 
a lot of, you know, out of you know, George Floyd, BLM, all of that stuff, there's a lot of organisation that was like, oh my God, let's put a black heart. Let's do this. Let's do that. We have this target. We have that target. I'm like, okay, guys, what are you guys doing now? Two, three years later, do you see? So for me, representation matters because, yeah. for example, in law now, there's only one, one, let me tell you, one equity partner in the whole of the UK that is a black woman that is for law when the law society told me that I was like huh so are you saying that there's been progress in my profession this is progress in my profession and let's take the numbers of the stats for technology 25% of women in technology 3% are Mm -hmm. black women so are you saying that this area of technology you know technology is about you know collaboration innovation we're supposed to de- be disrupting the norm and etc etc so what's the problem yeah exactly what I was saying last week Alicia yeah yeah exactly what I was saying last week all of these stats I mean if you think about you know who are the um, demographic who are going to these top Russell universities now who's coming out of schools with you know the most A levels A stars and all of that stuff, you know, the the ethnic minorities are really, as Adoniki say says, showing excellence. I think we've always been showing excellence. I think it's now that things are being more reported. You've got more transparency with statistics, and you've got things like social media, which is also doing a lot to give some sort of like equality. I think social media has done a lot for um, ethnic minorities. I think so. You know, we. We definitely, to be honest, there is no excuse, right, for us to not have representation, for us to not be in those high positions, for us not to be respected. Um, and I have to agree with Adeniki again. You went into your Nigerian accent. <laughs> I was like speaking Yoruba. You it was like, girl is getting like. <laughs> But yeah, it is. It's it is totally like there's no excuse for it. Um, and another thing is as well is that you see out there that because people can't get where they want to get in the corporate world, there's a high number of us actually just starting our own companies. Mm. Yeah. And you know what? My yeah. mum and dad started their own company back in the nineties, right? Like, and it was a struggle when they tell me like they had no bank loans, no anything. One bank manager gave them a loan. Like, you know, it's it's hard. And I think even to this day to get like investment, it's really difficult for black companies or black business owners and in and Indian owners, business owners to get investment. It's all about family money, houses that you've got to remortgage. <laughs> and there's other people that just don't have that same struggle. So I don't know. I think Black history for me is really important. Being Black British is has its challenges, but it also has its like real sweet moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just not, add as well. Sorry, yeah. Katisha. Just going, to, going back to um, the representation point. So, from my standpoint, from a young um, Black professional who's just started out in her career, when I started this company. And I found out that Katisha was my manager. I was actually really happy about that. Like, I was really, really happy about that because I could see myself, you know, and also the fact that we're both of Jamaican descent as well. Like, it's just, it was like, wow. The thing is, though, 
I didn't expect that and that's wrong because I feel like we should be seeing more representation. I should be seeing people in more senior positions at my age and a lot of younger people as well. That we should be seeing this and thinking, I can do that. I can be there. So going back to your point as well, Adonika, we was like, in terms of representation, if you don't see that, you can't imagine yourself there. It it makes p- people um, not know if it's possible mm-hmm. a lot of the time, which is why it's so important that we as a company can be as diverse as we possibly can to to open those doors so that more people have access to imagining how life can be in the future in these positions. Yeah, because seeing is believing, right? If you see it, you can believe it. Yeah, for sure. Because even me, when I basically applied for this job, I was very intentional, probably annoying Mm -hmm. to you guys, but I was very intentional because there's no way I was moving from a job that was in for eight years to just come anywhere. That's just, it was never going to happen. So when I saw you, Alicia, I was like, oh my God. I was like, oh my God, she's so sweet. (laughs) It was just beautiful. (laughs) And then I saw Katisha, I was like, girl, I knew you were going to be doing things anyway. So I was (laughs) not surprised at all. And basically and then I was intentional in terms of basically I wanted to you know at end of 2021 I had basically won an award for um STEM initiative of the year for um I think (laughs) women tech so for me I had to make sure that I was in an organization that was aligned with my DNI um kind of um values etc taking a step further than that in terms of seeing myself in like so my goal uh, my end goal is to become a general counsel and the only one I saw and who sat me down was Sandy Okoro and she was she basically was the um, GC for Barings Bank an investment bank in Mm -hmm. Liverpool Street she sat me down in her office meant meant, you know made sure she spent time like Nika what you need to do is make sure you get qualified then you can do what you want I know you want to do this space law but just get qualified but she basically you know when you look at people like that she took that time out so when you you know sometimes you feel at work you're like oh you know it just gives you that motivation that yes you can do it it gives you that thing that no there is no glass ceiling maybe you know there might be restrictions you know somewhere else but it doesn't come onto you you just have that extra thing Mm -hmm. within you that says that yes you can move the needle and you can push through and that's basically what that representation does for me personally yeah and I think also I'm from, you know, born and raised in Hackney. 20 years ago, when I was working at Barclays International, you know, doing my summer job, and a guy came up to me and was like, oh, you don't sound like you're from Hackney. And I'm just like, girl, dude, what does someone from Hackney sound like? Because they have that kind of image of that mm-hmm. area. But what they don't know behind the girl is a story of very hardworking parents who was like, mm-hmm. you are going to succeed whether mm-hmm. you like it or not. <laughs> so literally, I would die before you don't succeed. So that's the kind of, you know, the determination you have. And also you have that kind of sense yourself to know that these are the options that you have. Which way do I want to go? And you have that kind of drive within you as well. So I feel like organizations, you know, we are in 2022 mm. having discussions about diversity in the 50s and the 60s we had a civil rights movement are you trying to tell me that we have not moved along we yeah, have not learned from those things are you for real <laughs> and there's technology there's beautiful minds there's all these other companies that have come out and we work in technology and we're still having those conversations really mm-hmm. you know and that's basically what shocks me that I feel like 
why haven't we moved on what is the Mm. resistance what is that thing that we cannot see that we cannot touch that is not enabling people to break that glass ceiling that is basically what the issue is and that's basically what I feel we need to break definitely for sure sure. absolutely I think to be honest you know there some company it's really hard to explain it's like it used to be the glass ceiling and now it's supposed to be the glass ceiling's not there but I feel like there are inherent like inherited behaviors and cultures people take on which create that glass ceiling so you know I've worked in me and Adeliki worked in one of the same companies and I think I probably had more insight into the senior management there because I sat on the exec team and I would go to their meetings, then added <laughs> had insight to. So I, I was hearing all of the conversations, the behaviors. And sometimes when I used to look at them, I used to think, hmm, you know, and there were no other black or, you know, Asian senior management there right so you got that feeling that they wouldn't be so receptive to people going up the ranks and then you would hear things as well and you know little kind of comments about how people are within their roles that you you know when you're of a a minority you understand what this code isn't it you understand what that means you know so you kind of see like okay this is not the place if you want to come in and be a senior now it might have changed when it got taken over because it was a small company <laughs> and it's basically if you want to grow and become successful you have to become more diverse that is a given basically um I've been in companies where it's even like in the 50s so you you get to understand you get to know the code you hear things like you know don't all stand in a huddle together they might think you're plotting mm. and stupid things like that <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> And, you know, those sorts of things can affect you. But I think what you always have to remember is that you have to succeed. And I think Adoniki is right. And my parents have always pushed me. I think a lot of ethnic minorities, their parents have been behind them with a whip of some sort. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think that's why we're here today. Like why for we sure. can sit and talk is because people have paved the way for us. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just think Adelika's very inspiring, by the way. You've just really like put me on a high. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <Yeah, same. laughs> oh, I've only known her for less than an hour and I've like, <laughs> wanted to hang out with her more. But to be honest, I have to say, you can't walk around with a mindset of that you're going to be having struggles. You have to walk around with a mindset that you're going to break down walls. But it does get emotionally draining. I think I mentioned this last week. Like, people don't realise how emotionally draining talking about race is. It's, like, so draining. (laughs) And we shouldn't even be talking about it. That's the bit I think is just crazy. I was going to say, the only thing that I wanted to add about representation, this is picking up something that you were just talking about, Katisha, that businesses, if they don't take diversity seriously and they don't really embrace it and embed progression within their organisations, they're going to get left behind because we know that in business, clients and customers are wanted to do business business with brands and organisations that they resonate with. And of course, they'll only resonate with those businesses when they can see themselves within those organisations or on the call centre or in the boardroom or wherever it might be. And so I think businesses that don't take this topic seriously and don't talk about race will get left behind. 
Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you want to, like, I know the George Floyd thing, that was, you know, completely horrible event and everything. Um, But I find it really weird that companies had to wait and see that happen to Uh, be more diverse. I mean, seriously, it's just, I think that to me, I think was a win and also a disappointment from seeing companies just turn around and communicate that, oh yeah, we're going to be more diverse. We're going to be making sure we hire more people within top roles. It's like, you should have been doing that like from the (laughs) seventies, at least basically like in the two thousands, that's a bit late. So it is about representation. I think that there's no way or no reason why we can't be represented in the workplace. Exactly. And I think, Going back to your point as well, Patricia, about George Floyd and everything and how that's when people decided, oh, do you know what, like we need to do something. I think it's important that we're continuously like ensuring that change is happening and not waiting for another big event to happen before Mm -hmm. companies again start saying, oh, now we need to actually revisit what we were trying to do when George Floyd happened. You know, so I think having conversations like this especially are important because we need to kind of ensure that we're all understanding what part can we play in ensuring that we're more a more diverse workforce. And I totally um, hear that I was a teacher's comment that's saying it's draining talking about this all the time, but needs must. I think we yeah. have to talk about it. The thing it. is, we've got to though, because even though we don't want to, it's like we we have to. I know. Annoying, but nothing will change if we don't talk about it. Yeah, but I think even just talking, sorry, even it's not even about talking now. I think for me, it's just I'm tired of talking. (laughs) It's more about action. So, what is going to happen after? What are we going Mm. to do? What is the next move? What's the next step? Etc. Etc. Because for me personally, it's just that how many years, how many, how many generations? I don't want, you know, I think my motivation, I think you wake up when you start seeing, like when you've, you know, I've got a child now into this world. I want her to be able to have a choice. Whatever she wants to do, she can do because that's basically how I would be raising her. But I want her to be able to walk into a company where it represents everybody. It represents the society that she lives in. And it's basically how do we achieve that? And it's not basically just on a ground level. It's on all levels. And it's basically seeing that. And it's what do we need to do? What tools need to actually what tools need to be put in motion in order for this to actually happen um in terms of you know Dasso as a brand itself I've said this to so many people I don't want to be able to speak about oh I, I'm proud to work for Dasso but you know people don't know about Dasso because oh I need to compare it to Google before that they know do you understand it's basically that kind of brand level kind of situation as well and also making sure that we are consistent with what we're actually putting out in sense of we're innovators let's show that innovation in basically our company and I believe that you know with the racial charter that we've signed what does that look like in terms of our company what does it look like in terms of unfolding how you know what would that do for us in terms of pushing us forward in terms of our goals and in also in other areas of our pillars in terms of diversity and inclusion what does that look like as well so I don't know maybe Alicia, I don't know, Katisha, maybe that's for you guys. Yeah, no, I mean, Adenike, last week we, you know, had a um, a discussion about around all of this and I decided to put together a, a presentation to show what needs to happen over the next year in order for us to start putting 
what we're saying into place and having action. So it, it, it means um, diversifying recruitment. What networks, what organizations do we need to be a part of? Um, where, what do we need to be tapping into to ensure that people are seeing us, not just from the same pools that we've been going into? What about those, those diverse pools? Like for example, um, I was talking about the BYP network. So the BYP network is a, um, a, a network for like black professionals. Yeah. And I've actually recently joined this network. I'm actually going to an event um, that they're putting on a networking event um, next week um, where they actually have like a, a job board, for example. And some of our clients, our clients are working alongside this um, network and putting, posting jobs out there. And these people from this network are seeing that. And that's how they're getting diverse talent. And I'm not just saying this is the only way to do that. There's so many different other networks and stuff, but we need to start, um putting ourselves out there we need to start having more events as well like there's a lot of cultural events that happen across the you know across the year but how are we celebrating that I know that we're putting posts out to say um you know this is what happens around this event this what like for example Black History Month I'll put a few posts out but what what are we doing in terms of um having like in-person events what 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 can we do to ensure that people are understanding what Black History Month actually really does mean to us, what Black uh, British representation actually does mean to us. There's so many different elements, but I think as a, as a company, we need to all be champions. Um, we need to all be part of the movement. It can't just be um, our diversity, inclusion and belonging team, but everybody needs to encompass this. So, you know, being a part of the change, it, it, it needs to happen across the business. Um, so there's a lot of things that we're trying to put into action for 2023, but we need everyone's help to do it. We can't solely just do it on our own. Yeah, so. just basically just on your point and what you said about basically getting ourselves out there. When I see events where, let's say, our competitors are there, that automatically makes, you know, as a potential candidate to apply for a job, you automatically think, oh, once you see another um you know, you see other companies at an event, you think, oh, they're very diverse, they're very this, they tick all the boxes. So I think we also need to put our, you know, toe into that water as yeah. well, because I think, you know, we've, you know, we have that stamina, we've been in business for over 40 years, but we also want to bring in new business and new ways of working as well. So, and that will basically strengthen the brand, strengthen the company and prepare it forward as well. So I do definitely agree with you on that, you know, that point. And I would definitely echo that, that there has to be more responsibility on businesses to promote themselves, promote the jobs, promote the opportunities, because I was going to say, growing up in an Indian household, you can probably guess my parents weren't going to give me an option to not go to university. Um, <laughs> ideally, I would become a, a doctor, doctor, a solicitor, a lawyer, and a accountant. <laughs> no, 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 they've diversified those three options now. Yeah. They have pilots, they have engineer. So you yeah. have the three options are The three options are redundant now but yeah. got five. But that's the kind of backdrop and I know that I, I do a lot of volunteering within schools and particularly when I speak to young ethnic minority um, young people and I ask them what is it that you want to do there's a really narrow margin in terms mm -hmm, of what yeah. they vision themselves as in the future and I mean I was speaking to Amazon not that long ago and Amazon said that 
70% of the jobs that are going to exist in 10 years, they don't even know what they are. So mm, we've yeah. got a responsibility as businesses to help mm. young people see what that might look like. What skills exactly. are they going to need? What are the opportunities? How do you make that pathway to get to where you want to be? And I think that responsibility totally lies with businesses as it stands at the moment. I just wanted to put a, um, make a point about our dip group and what we're doing. I mean, Alicia's done such a fantastic job being the identity pillar. And, and Adoniki, you raised a really good point. It is about action. And I think last week I was really hell-bent in getting that point across. It's all well and good having the groups and, take, you know, communicating the podcast, which is fantastic. And, you know, maybe doing things that are quite impactful, but not impactful that brings the business along with us. And that's where I think we miss a trick. We've got a lot of resources at our fingertips. We've got a lot of great minds um, within different areas of the business, from marketing, from the technical areas. And we could use DIB in such a powerful way to show internal and externally who we are as a company, that's our systems, and also, we have people from every, you know, diversity group, male, female, young, old, who can actually, who actually have really good talents. And I think there's no better way of um, telling people about the company than word of mouth. Mm. Because someone will tell someone, oh, I went to an event at Dasso Systems. They had um, Adeniki Ojo up there talking about legal I don't know the legal speak but you know she was up there having a presentation and it was really interesting right we need to actually contact them we need to be like see what they're doing next I wonder if they've got any roles like people start really engaging when you've got something to offer like and we have and I think one thing with Dasso is that a lot of people in the UK don't know our brand Mm -hmm. um they interact with our brand because our brand is responsible for a lot of things, basically, <laughs> but they don't know who Dasso Systems is specifically. So if we were to do some events or do more around Dib and Dasso and trying to get more out there, maybe joining some the BOIP network, doing more with BITC, doing more with Stonewall and all of the other, like, networks that we've joined I think that will give us the edge that we're looking for from a dib um, point of view Um, and it will give us the sense of purpose because I think everyone on this call for DASA I think we're very proud of who we work for because I am really proud of who I work for basically it's a fantastic company seriously the the purpose of the company is just so in yeah it's exciting yeah yeah, Yeah, and it's inspiring but then how do we then talk about that? How do we show that? And I do that through DIB, I think. I do that through like being able to communicate about Dasso through DIB, but we also need to get over that first hurdle. We need to get out there. Yeah. So the world can hear us, basically. Even with what you've said as well, is basically, is it how do we quantify that? Mm-hmm. the lost opportunities and I think that's where you get your allyship and you get people hearing what you're saying mm-hmm. if we're if our brand is not out there in the UK 
how much other competitors are we allowing to get that business from us because mm. we're not speaking because mm-hmm. we're just being conservative about okay we're that sort of system you know you use our technology every day you know you touch it you see it, you feel it you do everything but you don't know about us how many lost opportunities have we had over the years you know as a result and when you start putting that into numbers yeah when you start putting that into projects like okay five-year project 10-year project you put numbers and numbers and numbers and numbers against that then people are like oh actually this is not working we need to do something about it that's basically where people will be like actually yes we need to take this more seriously as well I totally agree with you but sometimes I feel like do they think that diversity inclusion belonging has that power because I think sometimes people think it's just more of a a thing where you get together and chat and have a few drinks, maybe share a few cold jollof rice and do you know what? Not like I'm saying I don't want to do that, but <laughs> I feel like some some people think it's just so they've got a space to talk or they've got a space to get together. They don't see the impact it can have on the business on the bottom line like it, they feel it doesn't have a space up there basically it's just something to keep them busy or happy or whatever yeah, because I think other other companies are being very strategic with how they're using diversity and inclusion um I don't like it being used as a strategic tool but I do feel that even in that there is something that you can actually use if that makes any sense that if we have a diversity and inclusion and belonging team what is that team how is that embedded as we said as we discussed before within our stakeholders what allies do we have that is driving this forward you know in terms of kpis are people actually is this part of the kpis to say oh actually in, in terms of the five pillars what are each pillar doing have we achieved our aims you know this is what we wanted this is what we set out to do in january this is where we are in december in terms of basically and also the metrics that we're using so these are the entry-level um, jobs these are the open positions these are the how many people have applied for those jobs this is where they've come from is it basically from social media is it from word of mouth where is where are these applicants coming from do you understand so it's basically taking those statistics and showing them and also presenting them in a way that it's from a business perspective it, it makes sense if that makes you know it makes sense and it also drives people to actually do you know it forces people to um, act because when you present those numbers there's no way as a business owner, I'm losing money because people don't know about my company. Oh, yeah. you must be actually kidding. I am going to be advertising. Even if you, I'll be shouting it on the two rooftops and say, I work for Dassault System. This is the best company yeah. in the whole world. If you don't work for Dassault, you're not working. You know, those kinds exactly. of things. <laughs> That's it. So, so, but it has to be that way because I know it's a great company, but you have to do, you know, I did the work. I did the homework to make sure that, you know, while I'm here, you know, there's a reason I'm here and I'm, I'm not here to just you know you don't do law you don't do HR you don't do basically the work that you do because you just want to sit there you do it because you want to be a disruptor you want to see change yeah. you want to mm-hmm. you know you want to move things forward and mm-hmm. we have to be able to be empowered and in order in order for us to be empowered we need to know what we're working towards we also need to know what the targets are we also need to have the allies the stakeholders who actually bring it along as well and we also yeah. need to get ourselves out there we know we don't need to be shy or polite about our no advertise advertise properly (laughs) (laughs) we don't have to be shy about anything to be fair I think in terms of and the thing is it's like we're the best people to do it because we're never shy about our lives in general because we are who we are we have to face adversity so I guess you know we we're well we're well 
experienced in that in that area um but yeah I totally agree with you I think that you know today's conversation has been really interesting really insightful um I think we should probably end with a bit around BITC and yes how we want to work with them Alicia or because I think to be honest we being a part of BITC is fantastic I think it has helped us Mm -hmm. yeah no it definitely has and I think what we want to do with BITC is we want to work alongside them to come up with a strategy as to how we are going to do the action based on everything that we've been talking about so we also want to because BITC work alongside a lot of our clients um, and partners so what kind of relationships as well can we leverage from that because having, if we're working with our clients and partners for, you know, in business, why can't we not do it um, around identity and even across the other pillars? Yeah. Um, so I think the work that we are going to do in the future is going to, it's going to transform, well, I'm hoping it's going to transform the way that um, DASO Systems looks at identity. Um, because I think, this pillar really does need to be, we, we need to kind of um, move forward with this pillar in so many different ways. It's It's been a topic of conversation, I, w- I would say, based on what we're saying today, it's been a topic of conversation for a while. It's been, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do that. But with BITC, they're going to help us with the actual, the action piece. So I believe that you're going to be seeing a lot more communications, a lot more events next year. Um I'm hoping that a lot of you who are listening to this right now um, are even thinking about joining the DIB community and being a champion as well and helping us because we're saying all these ideas, but we need people. We need people within this organization to believe it in order for it to happen. It can't just be us that are saying all of this and, and you know, thinking things will change. And that's why we're putting this podcast out there. That's why we're, we're trying to think of new ways of communicating how we feel about um, DIB because that's how... I guess people will um, then understand and see how from their viewpoint they can help and, you know, action can happen. So I don't know if, Fimi, you want to say a little bit more about um, how we're going to um, work alongside you as well? I'm super excited. I was going to say some of the comments that you were talking about in terms of, I think, your organisation being one of the best kept secrets, to be completely honest and full disclosure, I'd never heard of you until you became members of BITC. And then subsequently, I've been exploring who you are, what you do. And obviously, after today's podcast, I'm completely blown away by all of you. And uh, you you can't get away from me now. I'll be stalking you all on social media. Um, But in (laughs) terms of BITC is a network of businesses that want to be responsible, as I said and I'm delighted that you've become part of the network and there's opportunities for us to really put a spotlight on Dassault in terms of the great work that you're doing and hopefully that will speak some way in terms of promoting your organisation in a really positive light. Um, As you were talking I've been scribbling loads of notes so I'll be speaking to your relationship manager after this podcast with all my thoughts in terms of how we can engage you but I think off the top of my head putting the spotlight on some of the fantastic work you're doing I think really showcasing the fact that the three of you that are on this podcast today are amazing black women really leading 
the agenda within your organisations and previously in other roles that you've done. And I think there's opportunities for us to shout about that because I think there's a lot of learning from Dassault for other businesses. And of course, one of the big benefits of BITC is that we can share learning from other organisations, possibly some of your suppliers, in terms of what does good look like? What is really kind of smashing that glass ceiling, that those nuggets of information, those initiatives that are being trialled and tested and working really positive, that we can then share them with your, your organisation also. So watch this space because this is the first year of being members of BITC. I have big expectations for the salt moving forward and BITC will hopefully be there hand in hand with you, helping you on really delivering action and less talk. Thank, thank you, you so for having much. me, Alicia. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you, thank you, everyone. This has been a very, very insightful conversation. And I just want to thank everybody for listening. Um, and if you've got any comments about the discussions that we've been having, then please, you know, comment down below and, and let us know. Be a part of the discussion and the conversation. Like, share and subscribe. <laughs> Yay. <laughs>